It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have part 14 on our series on the Gospel of John. Today's message is entitled, God's Son Breaks the Sabbath. In this message, we're going to be looking at two barriers that stand in the way of God's new work. Some really good stuff here that I hope you can benefit from in your own spiritual life. Also, we've got a lot of stuff coming up in the next couple of months. We've got Wild at Heart kicking off in June. We've got some youth events being planned. So be sure to check with our website, northshorevineyard.org, if you want to get involved with any of those things. All right, let's head to downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard Church, for the talk. Thanks for listening. In um, the Gospel of John, uh, part 14, and I'm going to recap from two weeks ago. We're, we're talking about this story about this, this uh, paraplegic guy that was next to the Pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. Now, there's a religious festival going on. This guy's been there 38 years. Okay, I'm 39 years old. How, how many of y'all are below the age of 38? We've got a few in here. Yeah, uh, we've got some liars up in here and everything like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 38 at heart uh, <laughs> I got some old people up in here no, uh, <laughs> Reverse the numbers maybe No, uh, just kidding uh, <laughs> 93 92 Dang We'll give it up for that. <laughs> so when I look at this story, this guy's been there for 38 years. That, that's pretty meaningful to me. That's like, that's my whole life. And this guy has been sitting by this, this pool. And they had this superstition going with this pool that if the waters began to stir, they said, oh, that's an angel. And so whoever's the first person in the water gets healed. Well, the pagans and the Jews kind of believe this. So it was kind of a sacred place to both of them. But it's just a superstition. And so this guy, he was so bad off that his only hope was that maybe this superstition would come true and maybe he could be the first in the pool. But he's a paraplegic, so getting in the water ain't easy when the water starts to move. And so he's been sitting in this place for 38 years, obviously probably given up hope. And then Jesus, in the middle of this religious festival, shows up and says, Hey, do you want to be healed? And he says, Yes. He says, Take up your mat and walk. Now, it seems pretty uncontroversial. It seems well, this guy gets healed. But we're going to find as we read this text that, that Jesus was kind of picking a fight with the religious crowd by the way that he healed this guy. So that's kind of the setup for where we're at today. Picking up in verse 9 of chapter 5, says this, The day all this happened was a Sabbath. So the Judeans confronted the man who had been healed. It's the Sabbath, they said. You shouldn't be carrying your mattress. Well, he replied, the man who cured me told me to pick up my mattress and walk. Oh, really, they said. And who is this man who told you to pick up, pick up your mattress and walk? 
But the man who'd been healed didn't know who it was. Jesus had gone away, gone away, and the place was crowded. After this, Jesus found the man in the temple. Look, he said, you're better again. Don't sin anymore. Something worse might happen to you. The man went off and told the Judeans what it was Jesus, that it was Jesus who had healed him. This was why the Judeans began to persecute Jesus, because he did these things on the Sabbath. This was Jesus' response to them. My father, he said, is going on working, and so am I. So for this reason, the Judeans were all the more eager to kill him, because not only did he break the Sabbath, but he spoke of God as his own father, making himself equal to God. Now, this is the first place in the, in, the, in the Gospel of John where we see people are getting angry. Angry to the point where they're thinking, we got to take this dude out. <laughs> we can't have somebody going around saying they're equal with God, breaking the rules and all this stuff. This is the beginning of the persecution that Jesus is going to face, particularly in Jerusalem. But before we get to that, I want to get to one of the central things that we see in the Gospel of John. If, if we rewind all the way back to November, some of you weren't here, but back in November we covered the first part of John. And how does the Gospel of John open up? Anybody know? This is a good way to win a jazz fist ticket. Oh, okay. No tickets for that. Dang it. The Gospel of John starts in the beginning was the Word. Does that remind you of anything else in the Bible? Genesis, right. Now, this is no... It doesn't take a Bible scholar. You don't have to know Greek uh, or Hebrew or any, anything like that to figure out in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. The Word was with God and, and everything was created through Him. It's my paraphrase. Don't look at the words. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't take a Bible scholar to figure out that sounds an awful lot like the first line of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But that's not the only parallel. In Genesis, it says, and God said, let there be light. In John, it says, and, and Jesus was the light of the world. And the light shone in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. And in Genesis, it says, And God created man and woman in His own image and in His likeness. And in John, it says, Anyone who believes in Jesus gets to become a child of God, a son of God, gets to be in His family. In, in Genesis, it talks about the creation of Adam, and it says, And God breathed His breath into His nostrils, and, and, and Adam came alive. In, in the Gospel of John, spoiler alert, at the, at the ending of it, towards the end, Jesus breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And, you know, there's something interesting, too, about Easter. Resurrection, when did that happen? What day of the week? What, and if you're counting days of the week, what day is that? The first day of the week. I mean, a lot of us in this culture, we think of Sunday kind of being the end of the week. But that's the beginning of the week. That's the first day of the week. Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross on Good Friday, when he was, when he was about to uh, you know, die, that evening was the beginning of Sabbath, the end of the week. And what's he say? It's finished. In the Genesis account, when God finishes everything, he, he rested. 
we see that John is trying to, he's making all these deliberate parallels with the Genesis story because he's trying to tell us something. What's he trying to tell us? He says, just what God was doing back then, he's doing something new again. He is up to creating new things. It's new creation. It's a new day. It's not a day of rest anymore because God's at work. And as my father is working, so am I. See, Jesus is, is letting them in on something. They're, they're in the wrong time zone. <laughs> they think it's Sabbath, and Jesus is saying, it ain't Sabbath anymore. It, it, God's, God's up to something. And guess what? You can get in on it, just like this guy who was healed. But we're going to find out that new creation faces barriers, even in our world. There are barriers that stand up against the new thing that God is trying to do. And we, we can see some of them are kind of obvious, and we're going to see that some of them aren't necessarily so obvious, particularly for those of us who are Christians. But there are things that we can participate in that stand up against what God wants to do. And I pray, as Paul prayed, that, that everything, everything in our hearts this morning that, that would stand up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ would be brought low. I pray that. Let's just pray that. Lord, let everything that stands against you be brought low. God, free us with your truth this morning. Amen. The first barrier we see to new creation in this passage is the barrier of sin. Jesus tells this guy... I love, the, I love how this miracle happens. Jesus heals this guy, but he doesn't tell him about who he is. He just says, hey, you want to be healed? Yeah. Then take your mat and walk. And then Jesus disappears. The guy, when they question him, who healed you? He's like, I don't know who healed me. He just came up and healed me. And, and, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're walking around. Who told you to carry your mattress? And, and, and he's saying, I don't know who healed me. Somebody just healed me and disappeared. But later on, he bumps into Jesus in the temple. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, you're better again. Yeah. He says, don't sin anymore or something worse might happen to you. Something worse might happen to you. Now, I said two weeks ago, I think one of the most penetrating questions, uh, the way that, that Jesus heals this guy, he asked him the question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? That guy had been there for 38 years. And he's, he's kind of become the victim now. You know, I can't get healed because everybody beats me to the water. But there's, there's something in this story that leads me to believe that this guy had embraced that life as his identity. And so Jesus' first question to him was, do you want to be healed? I ain't going to force you to be healed. I'm not going to force you to receive my life. That's not God's style. God won't force you into anything. Do you want to be healed? If you don't want it, he ain't going to force it on you. But I, I really believe that, that even though this guy was healed, he was facing the thing that, that all of us tend to face when God brings us out of something. You've developed an identity in your life that's based on sin, that's based on dysfunction, that's based on addiction. And you may step away from that, but, you know, I, I remember reading a book by this guy, Gerald May, a few years ago, Addiction and Grace, and he says, the addictive memory is the strongest memory that we have. You can always go back. You can always go back and pick up where you left off. 
even though God sets us free, we can always go back and embrace our previous identity. We can always go back and, and embrace those addictions, those sins, those, those things that were not built on God. We can embrace that. And, and, and Jesus says, if you do that, you're going to be worse off than you were. Now, I don't know if Jesus was saying he was going to end up paralyzed again or something like that. But Jesus is saying, if you don't live in the reality of new creation, you're going to be worse off. I've healed you, not just to heal you, but to bring you into a whole new reality. The reality of my kingdom, the reality of this new thing that I'm doing. Don't go embrace that. Now, I think there, there tend to be two kind of schools of thought in Christianity that I bump into, particularly online, on blogs and stuff. There's, there's one group that says every sickness in your life, every bad thing, every bounce check, every crack on your windshield, every tornado, every hurricane, it's all because of your personal sin. You've probably heard people on TV saying this before. They like to say it after every disaster. Oh, that was God. <laughs> He's punishing you. Then on the other side, there's a group of people that, that say, oh, no, nothing bad that happens in life is the result of sin. What we find in this is, is, is most co Bible commentators have said that, that when Jesus is talking to him, he's referring to that, that that guy was probably in the shape he was, probably the, the sin, some sin he had committed had led to his being there as a, as a paralyzed guy by the water. Now, Jesus doesn't say that everything happens like that, but there are certain sins that will affect us even physically. Now, not all of them, because in a couple of chapters, we're going to meet a blind guy. And everybody starts asking Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus, Jesus is like, it's not a sin issue. So I just want to clarify, there are some things, and, and really, if you look at addictions, they're, they're coming out with some amazing technology that can, that can scan the brains of people and they can see what's going on in the minds. If you find a person that's been addicted, whether to alcohol or drugs for a long period of time, it actually changes their brain. There, there are physical changes that will happen. There are things that begin to shut down that stop working in your mind. Physical changes that can be detected by participation in a sin. Now, I don't know if Jesus was getting at you're going to go back to being paralyzed by the pool if you sin. I don't think necessarily that that's what he was saying. But we know that sin separates us from God. It separates us from people, doesn't it? It separates us from our own hearts. You know, if I choose to, to look at certain things on my computer, it's going to separate me from my wife. She may not know about it, but it's going to, to put up a wall. If I choose to lie or cheat in business. Nobody may find out at all. But it's going to affect things. It's going to put up walls. It's going to do something. Sin was such a big deal that Jesus came to deal with it to set creation from sin. And, and while the love and grace and salvation of God, we can't earn that. It's offered to us without conditions. I mean, look at this guy. He's a great picture of salvation. He offered nothing. He's just... He's just a bum by the side of a pool. He can't contribute to society or God or anything. And Jesus heals him without him even asking. God's, you can't do anything to earn God's love or his salvation. Stop trying. But 
once you've said yes to God, you do have the choice of living in God's reality or your own. He's not going to force you to live as a disciple of God. So we find the first barrier to new creation is our own sin. And so the first thing we need to say, am I trying to hold on to my old identity, my my pre-Christ identity? Am I still getting caught up in that stuff? Or do I need to turn towards the Lord today? That's the first question. The second one's a little bit more sneaky. It's religion. We find... I, I, I think in this story, it, it, it's, it's a really sobering, scary story for those who have faith. <laughs> because it shows us a group of people that can see a guy get healed after 30 years of being paralyzed. And they're not happy about it. Why? Because Jesus broke the rules. Now, it wasn't illegal to heal somebody on the Sabbath. But... The way that Jesus does it, he actually told this guy, pick up your mat and walk. Now, there's this thing called the Mishnah. It was a collection of extra laws. Now, there's something like 615 laws in the Old Testament. A lot of laws. They had laws for everything, but it still wasn't enough laws for a lot of people. They said, we got to add some more laws. we got to clarify things. And so they actually had a law in the Mishnah that said, Don't carry a mat on the Sabbath. (laughs) That's pretty specific, huh? Don't walk around carrying a mattress on the Sabbath. Jesus could have healed this guy any day of the week. He could have waited till the next day and and everything would have been fine. But he deliberately heals him in the middle of a religious festival on a Sabbath day. And he tells the guy when he heals him, take up your mat and walk. He's picking a fight with religion. <laughs> He's doing this intentionally. And it works. See, the, the, the thing that ought to... I'm sorry, I'm on all kinds of blood thinners and I'm bleeding on myself here. <laughs> the thing that ought to scare us is that we can get so entrenched in our own beliefs about God that we fail to see God. We can get so entrenched about our beliefs about the Bible that we, we fail to see God when He shows up. You know, Jesus is going to say something shortly after this. He says, you Pharisees, you search the Scriptures. You know the Bible backwards and forwards. Many of the Pharisees, they memorized the first five books of the Bible. They memorized more than that. They could quote you chapter and verse on everything. He says, you know the Word, but you can't see the Word. What did John call Jesus? The Word became flesh. You can't see the Word when the Word's right in front of you. Jesus says, you, you know the Scriptures backwards and forwards, but... I'm the one that the scriptures point to and you can't see me, God's only son. I've I've been doing a blog for about seven years called My Life as a Wrestler. And on this blog, it's not that I I wrestle in my spare time. It's more about wrestling with ideas about faith and and different things in life. But uh, it's kind of where I process my journey and ask questions and kind of invite other people into the conversation. And I like to follow a lot of blogs and read a lot of blogs. But I tell you, some of the most mean, (laughs) slanderous comments I ever see are on Christian blogs. (laughs) You've got a Calvinist over here and an Armenian over here. 
If you don't know what those are, it's okay. <laughs> and sometimes I see these guys fighting each other like, like in such a, a horrible way. I think that I'm just tempted sometimes on these blogs to say, look, Jesus left this blog. <laughs> He's not here. <laughs> You're arguing over him, but he ain't here. <laughs> because... While you may have a chapter and verse for your argument over here, and you may have five verses for your argument, you are failing to participate in the Word of God, Jesus Christ Himself. You know, there's a type of religion that can make an an idol even out of the Bible. You know, I'm a big fan of the Bible. I mean, heck, we, we just go through the Bible here every week. I'm a big fan of it, but I'm a bigger fan of Jesus because Jesus is the word that transcends the story. He's, the, he's, he's what the whole Bible's about. And I, I want to remind you of something that, that my little boy said a, a couple of months ago because I thought this is, this is profound. It's kind of like where <laughs> it says wisdom from the mouth of, of children. Ezra had prayed for months for God to show himself to him. You know, he was, he was struggling with doubts in his own faith. And, and one day God answered his prayer. And he encountered God. And the next day, you know, Dino and, and Tevi were out of town and we we're reading the Bible and he's, he, he decides to read the book of Ezra. And so he's reading the book of Ezra. And he gets, he gets done with it. And, and he, he looks over at me and he says, Dad, reading the Bible with God is a lot better. And I said, Ezra, there's, there's people in seminaries that need to hear that. <laughs> Reading the Bible with Jesus is a lot better. There's a danger that we can get caught up in a religion that doesn't rejoice in people getting healed, that doesn't rejoice in the sick being made well, in the lost coming to the grace of God. There's a certain type of religion we can get involved in that keeps others out and that turns into a club. There's a certain type of religion we can, can, can rejoice in that not only is a barrier to new creation, but ultimately becomes anti-Christ, anti-Jesus. See, we see these people, the most religious crowd, the, the, the people who should have known Jesus when he stepped on the scene, actually become the ones who persecute Jesus, the one who stand against the kingdom of God. And that's a bad place to be. Look, I got to tell you, I, I, there's a lot of things I really believe strongly about which is a good thing for a pastor, okay? Number one, I believe Jesus is God. I believe He's the Son of God. I believe He's the King of all, the Messiah. He's it. But apart from that, <laughs> I hold on to a lot of my other beliefs with a little bit looser than I used to. Because I see that, that, that as a pastor, I'm in a really scary place. I can easily turn into one of these religious numbskulls who knows everything but fails to know Jesus. And I'm scared of that. I don't want to be the person that misses Jesus when he steps on the scene or that gets angry because somebody got healed and somebody broke the rules to do it. (laughs) I want to be the type of person that when I see somebody get healed, yay, cool, even if I had nothing to do with it. And I probably won't, (laughs) even if it happens. (laughs) Anything apart from the main things of loving God and loving people, we can argue all day about that stuff. And I I like arguing, you know, as much as the next guy, okay? But I got to hold on to these things a little bit looser. 
lest religion becomes a barrier to the new creation work that God wants to do in me and through me. See, I think, you know, when we looked at the book of Philippians last year, when one thing that Paul says over and over, he, he encourages people to, to have a spirit of humility, to work things out with one another. We could use a lot of that in the church today because we can so easily get, get puffed up in our own knowledge, in our own pride. And not only do we hurt other people, we end up like Paul, pre-conversion. We, we're persecuting other people, thinking we're helping God out. <laughs> but Paul, he was Saul. He had to bump into Jesus and kind of correct everything. So the questions today, do we have barriers of sin in our life that are keeping us from living in the new creation of God? Is there something that, that you need to turn from? This is a good day to let it go and just say, God, look, I... I I want to live in the reality that you call me to. But perhaps maybe that's not your issue today. Perhaps your sin is, is, is your own religion. Perhaps today you just need to say, God, look, I, I realize that even if I am true, I may be doing this in the wrong spirit. And I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss what you're up to. I want to close with a, a little quote from a guy named Tom Wright. John 1.11 says this, He came to His own, and His own didn't accept Him. They were not ready for new creation, for the living Word of God to come to them with new things to say. They were living in the old time zone and were angry with Jesus for, as it were, waking them up too soon. The battle of the time zones will continue until it reaches its climax on the cross. This battle still continues today, though in another form. With Jesus' resurrection, God's new creation project is launched upon the world. People still react angrily to it. Where are the followers of Jesus today who are prepared to say, Jesus is at work, and so am I? I love Jesus' answer. Why are, you, why are you breaking all the rules? Because it's not the Sabbath anymore. My Father's working, and so am I. God's not at rest today, neither am I. Where are the people who will say, Jesus is doing something, and so am I? Today, we're just going to close by taking communion together. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a song here as we uh, get ready to take communion. And I, as I begin to play, just come forward, grab the elements. And by the way, this isn't... Kool-Aid, it, it's just a different color juice today. He's <laughs> like, I knew it. I knew we were going to get around to the Kool-Aid. No. <laughs> we're saving the Kool-Aid and the snakes for another day. Um, no. <laughs> but as we get ready to take communion, I'm just going to lead us in a song. and Just come up and grab the elements and we'll, we will all take communion together. And just... You can go ahead and make your way forward.